Dogcast Radio. If you like dogs, wherever you are in the world, we're the show for you. Hello and welcome to episode 119 of Dogcast Radio. In this show, we have interviews from the day we spent at the Mainline Border Collie Centre with both Vicky Sykes... Even though it's a fun day, it's educational as well. And there's quite a lot to take on board. So if you're young, it can get a bit tiring for you. So we do various different days, that the, to a full day, to shorter days, to family days. It's suitable for anybody. And Barbara Sykes. There needs to be one balance of training that teaches good manners, and that's what it's all about. Understanding each other, understanding the dogs, and doing what the best we can for the future of dogs, because the rescue situation is really serious in this country. Plus, we have the Dogcast Radio News. But before all that, we have an interview with Dr Dawn Marcus, who is the author of an inspiring new book called The Power of Wagging Tails. This book examines how beneficial dogs are for us, largely by focusing on stories from handlers of therapy dogs. And one of the things it brought home to me was just how many areas dogs can help us with. Physical, mental, psychiatric, speech therapy. There are so many examples in the book of the incredible effect of a dog. Yeah, I really found that amazing as I was researching through this too, um, how many different disorders people have actually done research on to look and to see, you know, does it really help having a dog there? And I think some of these you know, people just accidentally stumbled upon with, you know, a medical person who him or herself, like I do, has a therapy dog, brought it into a situation and said, wow, it really helped that child with autism or, um, you know, someone with a stroke who was having trouble speaking suddenly, you know, they're, they're much more outgoing and trying to use their words for the dog when just the person's there, you know, they're just really not engaging. So it is really incredible that the dogs can touch so many different people, um, you know, who are struggling with so many different problems. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the other thing that I loved about the book, because when, you know, I've, I've covered quite a few dog stories, so it's, it's not, you know, I'm not saying I know everything by a long, long way, but, you know, I'm not often surprised by things. And yet, you know, there were some lovely touches in this book because... Um, you, you have a quote from Florence Nightingale, um, who apparently said, a small dog is often an excellent companion for the sick or long chronic cases, which is wonderful to know that that long ago she, she knew this. Right, right. And I think sometimes, you know, we think, wow, this is so surprising, I just figured this out. But I think it's really even more telling that, you know, some very, you know, profound people from very long ago really had recognized this, just like with the psychiatric patients, um, they talk about Freud taking his chow into sessions with him and felt that not only did it calm the patient, but he would watch how the patient would interact with the dog that he felt helped him, you know, make his diagnosis and understand the patient better. So I think a lot of people have really recognized, you know, the profound power that dogs can have in reaching people. And it's funny because people make these, you know, profound discoveries and then they sort of, you know, we sort of forget about them and, you know, 20, 50 years later, you say, oh, my gosh, look what just happened with my dog. This is so incredible. Who would have thought, um, you know, and have forgotten, you know, the history that, you know, had, had we been studying that all along, we'd probably have a greater understanding of how is it that dogs, um, dogs do affect people than we currently do. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting you say, you know, profound there. And I was thinking, I've never heard that before this book, that, that Freud had, had a chow. Um, and... You know, I think sometimes, as you say, it is, it is profound and deep and, and, and fundamental, the, the effect these dogs have on us. 
But it, you know, hasn't been widely reported because people kind of think it's just a dog. It was just a dog there. And sometimes that that familiarity we have with them does breed not contempt, but sort of we take them for granted. Right. Well, one of the things that was so neat about this book, I've been making therapy dog visits, I guess, about um, four years now with my two dogs. And, you know, you'll go and make visits. And oftentimes they just, they seem very ordinary and nothing extraordinary happens. But and every once in a while, you're like, wow, that was really amazing. And as you're driving in the car, you're thinking, oh, I can't wait to get home to tell someone about this incredible thing. And then by the time you get home, you're thinking, you know, am I just really making more out of this? Maybe, you know, I'm, I'm just sort of a dog nut. And if I mention this, people will just think I'm crazy. So, you know, I won't say anything or maybe I'll, you know, tell a little story and that'll be it. And as I was writing this book and contacting people saying, I want your stories, what, you know, what have you witnessed with your dogs? Every time someone got in touch with me, they started out the conversation of saying, they'd say, well, I really don't think this is much of anything but, and then they would go on and tell me the most incredible story. Mm. And the stories were all, in many cases, so similar that it really helped to um, solidify your own thinking that, wow, there really is something behind this. It's not just, you know, oh, the dog's kind of cute. It made me feel happy for a couple minutes. I mean, these dogs really are reaching people in ways that are um, you know, baffling the medical community and, you know, the doctors and nurses are going and trying to get people to talk to them, trying to pull them out of their shells for weeks. You know, suddenly the therapy dog comes in and, you know, Uncle Bob is sitting up in his bed and, and engaging where he has, hasn't been doing that before. Um, and, and I think it really is, you know, very powerful and profound what can happen, you know, in those situations. And I think, you know, in, in one sense, it's not that while well, the dog's a miracle worker and, you know, he walks in the room and suddenly people are standing up who were paralyzed and running around the room. But I think for many people, that dog really, in a way, is able to reach them and provide an, an impetus and catalyst for them to really get going um, in their recovery that they might not have had, you know, had the dog not been present. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, it isn't just anecdotal, is it? Because there is scientific research into this that sort of backs up the fact that, you know, the dogs do have a, a positive effect. One of the, um, some of the research that you mentioned that I loved was, I think it was students who had to sit on a sofa and pet either a, a real Sheltie or, um, you know, a stuffed toy Sheltie. Right. And I love that. Yeah, there's, I mean, it's really kind of interesting because um, I, I think and I believe in that study they looked at both um, biochemical and some physical stress measures to see, yeah. you know, what happened, um, you know, with with having the dogs present. And the amazing thing about that study is that. Um, the improvements that they found are improvements in the immune system and um, improvements that would sort of decrease your overall stress level that occurred when you were sitting with the real dog that didn't happen when you were sitting petting the stuffed shelter. So it wasn't just the act of sitting and petting, and it didn't happen when you were just sitting quietly. And the amazing thing about it was it didn't matter if you were a dog lover or not. You really got the same effect. So it's not just that... You know, you took some students who were, you know, homesick, missing their dog. Suddenly a dog, they're like, wow, this is so great. So, you know, it's a group that's sort of, you know, tuned into, you know, I'm going to really be excited loving up a dog. You know, there were students who liked dogs, didn't like dogs. It really didn't matter. They all really got 
you know, um, significant health benefits just from spending those few minutes with the dog. And the nice thing with that study is not only did you look at, it didn't matter if you liked the dog or not, but they actually were, um, you know, measuring blood levels. So it's not just the person saying, oh, I had a good time. It's the body's physiological response is actually improving because of that interaction with the dog. So there's a lot more that's going on behind the scenes that, you know, we can't necessarily recognize than just, you know, the smile that may come on that person's face and the, the, you know, the calmness that seems to come over them as they're petting the dog. Yeah, yeah. That to me was incredible that even if you came away and sort of said, oh, well, you know, I didn't really like that dog, you know, you, you still had had a positive or your, you know, your, as you say, your body was having a positive experience and that was incredible. And, I mean, the thing is you, you can't, as you could say, you can't see what's going on and I love the thing that you say about you know people will say um why is your dog in the hospital and you say he's a therapy dog and they're kind of like well what does he do and you say well he just visits people and cheers them up and yeah but what does he do yeah it's funny because I think a lot of people and even people who are thinking about therapy dog work think oh I've got to train my dog to do all kinds of tricks and you know he has to really entertain and engage people and I mean there are people who do that and really get a very positive response from um you know, from the entertainment value that their dog can provide. But I think for most people, it's just that, um, you know, that calm that comes over them from having the dog there. And, and, you know, as I mentioned in the book and sort of the end of the story that you're talking about is, um, you know, what always happens when that conversation starts, we're usually in a crowded elevator with everybody, you know, sort of worried and grumpy and scowling faces. And someone turns of like, why is your dog here? And, you know, as I'm telling them, you know, he goes and visits patients and, you know, you'll often get a look of someone sort of skeptical of, oh, good grief. But pretty much everybody else in the elevator, they've all turned. They've started looking at the dog. They're smiling. They're patting him. And then they're starting conversations with each other. Oh, I have this wonderful dog at home. Oh, you do. Oh, I have a poodle too. And before you know it, you know, this elevator of scowling, stressed out people, you know, the door opens and suddenly it's turned into an elevator of people, you know, who leave that, that elevator, leaving their stress behind. They've got smiles on their faces and, you know, a better attitude when they walked out that door when they came in. And that's really what the therapy dog is doing. So it's always kind of funny when people are like, yeah, but what is he doing? You're like, this is it. He's doing it. Just look around the elevator, mm-hmm. uh, you know, or just look at people in the hallway. And I know, you know, when I walk through the halls in the hospital with my dog, if I'm walking through the hospitals by myself, despite the fact that I think I'm a really delightful, pleasant person, <laughs> people will pass me and, you know, scowls are still on their face and you know, there's just really no delight that happens as they pass, which I find a little shocking, but, you know, unfortunately that's the way it is. But when my dog is there, it is just totally different. And I can't, I mean, it's like, you know, the celebrity is coming down the hall, the mm. smiles are on people's faces, and just the whole energy of that environment changes. And it's just so neat to see because it's like this wave of, um, you know, of peace and calm and joy that follows you as you go. And hopefully some of that is carried past you as they then go on, you know, to complete their tasks of the day. Yeah, yeah. It's funny, you know, you're saying about walking down the corridors. Another thing that surprised me was how much the staff seem to benefit from the, the dog's visits. Right, and, I, and that's actually something that really hasn't been looked into. We're actually starting um, a new study at the University of Pittsburgh to try to quantify that specifically But as you see, um, you know, as you go to make visits with your dog, particularly if it's patients who are um, very ill, 
oftentimes the dog gets um, you know a bigger response and interaction from the staff and the family members. And, you know, I think it's really important for people who are the therapy dog handlers to understand that that interaction itself is so valuable and so powerful. Um, we were visiting the other day and a nurse came up to me and was like, oh, Toby's here. You know, I need my therapy, you know, mm-hmm. and she's loving him up. And she says, you know, he is so much better than a dose of Valium. That is just what I need. My stress is so much better. And in one hand, you know, it's good for her, but it's also probably good for her patients that, you know, as she feels feels better after that interaction, now she can go about the rest of her day taking care of her difficult patients and hopefully, you know, having a better attitude so that they're getting better care as well. So indirectly, um, you know, even when the staff is being helped, I think it really does help the patients as well. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, another aspect that I found really interesting was um, people visiting waiting rooms where um, relatives and friends were waiting for someone who was in surgery you know, and they were saying about the, the tense atmosphere, obviously the tense atmosphere of people waiting to see how their loved one was. And, you know, that the magic the dog can, can work there. Yeah, that's actually, on one hand, the hardest place I find to visit because the emotions are just so high there. And, you know, people in, the, in waiting rooms are usually trying to hold it together. Um, so if you just walk in as a volunteer, you know, they, and just, oh, how is it going? Can I get anything for you? They'll usually just really try to be very pleasant, very quiet. Oftentimes they just want you to go because they don't want to burst into tears in front of you because they're really very worried. And going in with Toby, I really try um, not myself to have a lot of interaction with the people because I think they're just working so hard to keep it together around humans. But, you know, with the dog, it really frees them up. Um, you know, to release a lot of those emotions. And we saw um, a woman the other day, we went in the room, she's sitting with her family, and, you know, she just has this big smile on her face and is looking all pulled together and cheery and, um, and said, oh, yes, I'm waiting for my husband. You know, he really would love to see the dog. And I said, well, maybe, you know, when he's done with his surgery and he's in a regular room, let the nurses know and, you know, we'll be happy to come by. And she said, well, really, you know, I don't think he's going to do very well and we really don't expect this surgery to go well. But still, you know, she's sort of holding it together and just seeming very cheerful and pleasant. And then she grabs Toby's face pulls his nose to her nose, their nose to snout, and she starts whispering to him. And all of a sudden, she is just bursting into tears. You know, there, I don't know what secret she's sharing with him, and she's just sobbing. And I'm standing there ready to cry myself. I'm not really sure what's going on, but it's just, you just feel so much for this woman. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they spent you know, a number of minutes together with her just, you know, grabbed onto Toby's beard, crying to him, you know, finishes up and says to me, thank you so much. You have no idea what this meant to me. And, you know, I'm just like, you know, wanted to give her like the biggest hug, yeah. but I think that's not what she needed or what she wanted. And she really needed that ability to, to share and not have someone share back with her, telling her all the usual cheerful platitudes we as humans are going to oh don't worry I'm sure he'll be fine Mm. you know and just all these things that we think are helpful that just you know she doesn't want to hear or can't hear and um, I mean it's just really amazing in those waitings I think patients often really do or you know the visitors really do need that opportunity to get those emotions out in a way that you know someone who's totally non-judgmental can take them hear them accept them and not reflect them back 
Um, and that's just something that I think the dog is very capable of doing. And as a human, even if you try not to, it's just so hard not to try to offer something helpful back that, that sort of backfires on you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's one of the things with dogs. They are so just accepting. I mean, it, even on an ordinary level with a dog that isn't a therapy dog, you know, they're wagging their tail and everybody's a friend, you know, usually. Um, they're just everybody they accept everybody and I think that's that is part of this this you know power of wagging tails um and you talk about Sarah's story who um she had aggressive head and neck cancer and and was disfigured um and had slurred speech and yet she you know your Wheaton just walked in and you know treated her exactly like everybody else didn't he yeah and I think for her it was just so powerful because here was this you know very dignified you know older woman um, you know, and who knows what her life had been, but presumably, you know, people had been pleasant to her at times throughout her life. And, you know, her surgery had left her so disfigured. It was really very hard not to stare at the disfigurement and not to sort of be startled when you first saw her because it was just so disfiguring. And, um, you know, the staff was starting to avoid her, which was, you know, very unfortunate for her and just, you know, made, made things seem even worse. Um, cause I think it was just, you know, very hard for people to go in and see her. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even when I first went in to see her and they said, well, before you see her, just so you know, this is what she looks like. It's, you know, a lot of people can't even go in the room. And I thought, oh, for goodness sake, how bad can it really be? And I know as I went in the room, you know, and, and I've been seeing patients for decades now, and it was just sort of, you know, she, it was so disfiguring that there was sort of that, you know, uncontrollable pause as you're walking in, as you're like, wow, look at that. Let me pull myself together and proceed forward. Whereas Weedy just had none of that. He just walks in, tail wagging, goes right up to her. Um, and it was very hard to understand her. But again, Weedy doesn't care. He understands what's going on. They had the most wonderful conversations together. Mm-hmm. And I mean, she would just sit there chatting with him, saying, I don't know what, and he's just looking at her like, you are so wonderful. I am so happy that I've met you. You are such a great friend, and I just love hearing everything you have to say. And I mean, I think it just really made such a big difference for her, and even at times where she was so sick that, you know, she really wasn't up to a visit, we would stop by the door, and she would wave and be, you know, just you know, would brighten up at just seeing him. And I think really it was, you know, he became for her, you know, that really good friend that accepts everything, trusts everything that she really needed at the very end. Mm-hmm. Um, I also, I mean, that that was a typical example to me of sort of, um, I, I've said to you that when I read it, you know, at, at times I was trying to read through tears, you know, and that was one of the ones that, you know, touched me and sort of made me think, wow, this is, you know, you really are making a difference. You, you know, you perhaps don't have any, you know, a full idea of the difference your dog is making. Um, and the other things that I found touching were people who were, you know, in intensive care or in a, dif- a, a situation somehow that was difficult, you know, with tubes, difficult for the dog to actually get to them. And the dog had a sense of what they had to do and sort of got into the right position and got themselves where they could be, you know, of use to this person. And I, I really liked um, Leah's story as well, who she was in intensive care, wasn't she? And then she sort of fed back to you later about the experience. Yeah, that was really neat. Um, This was a a very petite woman who had a very petite dog at home who she really loved. And she was in the intensive care unit for months. 
And the nurses had said, oh, she loves the dog so much. You know, she misses her dog so much. You know, she'd love to have um, you know, your dog come for a visit. So Weedy and I would come for our visits. And most of the time, you know, she was just so sick. She was, you know, had a, um, um, a, a tracheostomy and a, a ventilator in, so she couldn't really speak. And most of the time, she didn't really appear to be awake. Um, but we would go in and just, you know, um, I would hold Weedy up, we'd stand by the bedside, you know, maybe rub her hand against Weedy, and we'd only be there for a few minutes, and then, you know, off we would go, and then the next week we'd come back, and you know, usually find her in the same condition where, you know, she appeared to be asleep or in, you know, a light coma, and, you know, you sort of wonder, is she really getting anything out of this, yeah. but, you know, yeah. who knows, so we would go in. And, um, you know, did that for, for weeks and weeks. And then, you know, one day she's no longer in the bed. And I'm very, I think having been in medicine for so many years, I'm often very cynical and assumed, you know, she, she must mm-hmm. have died and now there's a new patient there. And um, didn't really think much more about it until, you know, a few months later and Weedy and I are leaving the hospital and this woman comes flying toward us and is Weedy, Weedy. And, you know, he often gets a reaction, so it didn't necessarily startle me, but I was like, oh, I wonder who this woman is. Mm-hmm. And she said, oh, you probably don't remember me, you know, but she was that woman in the bed and she looked so very different because now she didn't have all the tubes and, you know, everything attached to her in a little hospital gown was, you know, like a regular person again yeah. and had told us that, um, you know, those visits meant so much to her that she really helped, you know, felt that they really helped to pull her through and, you know, keep her motivated and keep her fighting. And, uh, you know, it was just really so amazing that, you know, as the therapy dog handler, if you had to say, you know, what was the value of those visits, you'd probably say, well, do I really need to stop in? Because, you know, the woman is totally out of it. You know, she does like, there's no response from her. She's not talking to us. She's not petting the dog, am I really doing anything valuable? And that probably would have been one of those patients say, oh, I can probably skip her today because, you know, what difference am I making? And it was amazing to see her, you know, is now this, you know, healthy, vibrant person who said, you have no idea what an impact that made. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, and as a handler, that really helps motivate you for those days where you're like, you know, am I really doing anything useful here or not? To remember that and say, you know, you have no idea sometimes Um, you know, the impact that you're making in people. You can hear the second half of that interview next time when Dawn will be talking about how her dog Wheatie saved a life, but maybe not quite in the way you might expect, as well as her Fitter's Fido training programme and the new book she's working on. There's a wealth of information at her website and we have links to her Facebook and Twitter pages too. Dog owners tend to have lower blood pressure and cholesterol and suffer fewer minor ailments and serious medical problems. You're listening to DogCast Radio on www.dogcastradio.com. Hello and welcome to the DogCast Radio News Desk. I'm Kate. And I'm Nick. If you start to look into the law as it relates to dogs, you very soon discover it's strange and inconsistent, and dog owners can fall foul of it very easily. In the UK, two former friends are going to court to establish which of them is the legal owner of an 18-month-old mini dachshund called Bailey. The problem started when the original owner, Gary Rowlandson, gave Bailey away to Stephen Spencer after the dog bit his granddaughter. However, within a day... Gary realised he'd made a mistake and asked for the dog back. 
but Stephen Spencer had become attached and even refused to hand Bailey back for a thousand pounds. With Bailey's ownership still in dispute, the case goes to court in early June. Meanwhile, in New Zealand, a prominent political figure who cannot be named and his ex-wife found themselves in court fighting for ownership of their two dogs. Apparently, the couple has had a long-running battle over the dogs, with the ex-wife allegedly dog-napping one of the dogs when she spotted them out for a walk with her ex-husband's new partner. The judge has now ruled that the couple must share the dogs, with each having them for one month. At the end of each month, the dog must be taken to the grooming salon from where the other partner will collect them. With admirable insight, he took into account the fact that the dogs enjoy each other's company and refuse to split them. Sadly, there are some separations that no court ruling can overcome, and the news emerged recently that Jennifer Aniston's beloved dog, Norman, had died. Norman was a Welsh Corgi Terrier mix and had been with Jennifer for 15 years. He had accompanied her on countless television and film sets, as well as appearing on TV with her. And she described him as a person in a dog suit. Hopefully her other dog, German Shepherd Dolly, is providing comfort as she grieves for probably the most faithful male in her life. Dog lovers in China rescued almost 500 dogs who would otherwise have been eaten. After seeing a plea for help on an internet site, 300 people gathered to stop a lorry packed with dogs. The poor animals were crammed in cages and were destined to be sold to restaurants. After a tense standoff, with the protesters refusing to let the lorry pass, they finally bought the dogs from the driver for $18,000. That's around £11,000. The dogs are recovering in a shelter and several animal hospitals near Beijing and happily will not wind up on a menu. And finally, researchers at Harvard University USA have proved that dogs drink in the same way as cats but they just make more mess. X-ray film shows that dogs do not scoop up fluid with their tongue as previously thought. Instead, they pull up a column of liquid and chomp it. Previous research had asserted that dogs drank differently from cats, but that did not make use of X-ray technology. Cats and dogs split from a common ancestor 43 million years ago, but neither developed the thick cheeks that other animals did, including humans, resulting in their similar drinking methods. And talking of drinking, we're off for a cup of tea now because that's all from the Dogcast Radio News Desk. Goodbye. Dog owners benefit not only from the exercise they get walking their dogs, but from the opportunity for social contact with other dog owners. We recently spent a very enjoyable and educational day at the Mainline Border Collie Centre meeting and learning to work border collies with sheep. Obviously, on a day course, we only covered the basics, but it was fascinating. One of the things that struck me was the huge variety of border collie personalities, from the laid-back Millie, who just wanted to cuddle from everyone and then curled up daintily on a chair and slept for the rest of the day, to youngster Pip, who wanted no interaction with us at all unless it involved working the sheep. In between those two extremes was the charming Jim, who was an efficient sheepdog, but was happy to lie down for a tummy tickle away from the sheep in the meeting room. We were told how to work each dog, and their needs varied greatly, from Jim, who we just had to tell he was a good boy, to eager Ben, who had to be instructed to lie down very firmly, to another dog, who tended to be too fast for us and push the sheep behind us, whom we had to warn with a ah-ah-ah. I had looked forward to this day for 
ages, but as we pulled up in the small car park, I was as nervous as I was excited, and I seriously doubted that I would be able to take the sheep round a simple course by the end of the day, as the leaflet had promised. There were four others on the course that day, and Vicky Sykes was the talented and patient lady with the big task of whipping five would be shepherds into shape. But what intrigued me was how do you start teaching people about shepherding when they're absolute beginners? Well, basically, like I said、um, earlier on, I'm training you the same way as I train a young dog. So we start off with the same process, working around the pen, then into the ring, taking it in slow steps. Some people pick it up quicker than others, but if, if you start off around the ring, it's all based on body language. So by using your body language, you can soon interact with the dog, and then as your confidence grows, obviously we work Jim first because he's a nice, steady dog, and your confidence grows with them, and we, we move through the stages quicker than you would obviously if you were training a dog. But you move through the stages throughout the day so that you're confident enough to work in the field, and we're not because we don't push any dog onto you. You can only work a dog. There's no point you working something. That you're not going to be confident with, because it'll just take all that away from you. So you, 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 that's why you get the choice of working whichever dog you want to work in the afternoon. Yeah, yeah. So, so the first task this morning was we got to get the dog sort of taking notice of us and walking the opposite way,、yeah. op- opposing us. Yeah.、Mm-hmm. And and is that a behaviour that they do fairly naturally? The collie is a natural herding dog. That's its natural herding instincts. I'm not saying that young dogs go in and do that straight away, but their natural instinct is to go out and hold sheep to you. So we use that natural instinct around the pen. What you'll do is it takes a few sessions, but if you can get a dog interested working around a pen, then it will naturally want to balance at the opposite side of the sheep to you. And once we've got that, we can start putting commands on the top of it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, and then we progressed, which which felt like a big step. We took the pen away, and then there were sheep and us and the dog in the in the barn, weren't there? Yeah. So that felt like a big step, but it and and and、um, what do you get people doing then at that point when when the The pen gone away. Well, when you take the pen away, your next stage is obviously to work the same sort of thing around the pen, but without the protection of the pen. Sheep stand, sheep don't stand still, even no matter how well done they are or how soft they are. So, what we're getting people to do then is to go, <laughs> is getting people to go around the, the sheep and then they move away from the sheep and get the dog to lie down opposite them. So they're actually moving around the arena, using the space and getting the, the dog to actually work the sheep too. Yeah. 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 And then the next big step. <laughs> In the afternoon was when we went into the field, and I I had every expectation that once we got in the field, the sheep would just go sort of one into each corner, and I didn't have you know the faith that I was going to be able to do it. But it, 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 it I mean somehow it seems like magic. The dog does keep the sheep with you. Well, dogs like Jim. I mean. We've used various different dogs. Dogs like Jim. He knows his job. He knows to keep the sheep tight, and he's a very steady, gentle dog. And while I'm talking to you, the sheep will hold the sheep to my feet all day until I give him another command. His job is to fetch the sheep down and hold them to me. And therefore, he's very good for the beginners, people that are wanting to learn not just for the sheep dog experience, but if you're wanting to learn how to teach, you know, you've got a young dog and you've got sheep, and you want to learn how to break it in yourself. He's very good for giving confidence like that. Dogs like Ben and Lad that work a lot closer are obviously a little bit harder to do, but the same principle. They're not going to take the sheep away from you. Their job is to keep the sheep to your feet, and therefore you can move around the around the field, hopefully completing your course at the end of the day. <laughs> yes, yeah. And sort of what what sort of people come on the the sheepdog experience? I mean, what what sort of age group is it suitable for? Um, everybody really.、Uh, we have youngsters come. We do family days as well, don't we? So that it's not such a long experience because obviously the sheepdog experience is a full day.、Mm-hmm. If you're young, 
it's a long time is that it's quite a lot as you notice there's quite a lot to take on board even though it's a fun day it's educational as well and there's quite a lot to take on board so if you're young it, it can get yeah. a bit tiring for you so we do various different days that the to a full day to shorter days to family days it's suitable for anybody and it's not just for people we've had people here that have been on sticks that aren't quite as able-bodied because dogs like jim will actually peg down to that they're very mm-hmm. sensitive and they will work as long as you're capable of controlling the dog then you're capable of working them yeah yeah it is quite a hard mental workout as well though isn't it it is yeah <laughs> it is i mean this is just fun like i said mm. and it is mm. it is quite but there is a lot you have to take yeah. on board um like i said i teach people as well and they are the people that go home banging the head on a brick wall going oh i didn't expect it to be so difficult because what people don't take into consideration is you don't just have the dog the sheep are the third element and sheep yeah. You've got to be able to watch them, read them. You know, you have to take them into consideration because they are part of you, part of what you're doing. And people don't they forget that, and then they've concentrated on the dog, and then the sheep have disappeared. <laughs> yes, you fall over the sheep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, the other thing that fascinated me was there were so many different characters within the dogs that we met today. It was mm-hmm. amazing. Yeah, they're like a family. Well, they are our family. I mean, just like any family, brothers and sisters, even if they're twins, it doesn't make them the same. You know, you can have a very quiet child and then the next child can be very raucous and loud. They're totally different characters. And therefore, when you're training a dog or when you're working a dog, as you, what you notice today, no two dogs approach the same to sheep. You can't say, this is how you're doing it, because... It doesn't work like that. What works for one might not work for another. I mean, I have got a dog in at the moment that if you don't tell him how wonderful he is all the time, he cries and leaves the field. And I have another one that if you don't sit on her constantly, she's like, well, let me eat the sheep. So you've got to bend yourself around those dogs because they've got such different characters and such different personalities. Um, Where can people find out more on the internet? www.bordercollies.co.uk is our website. We have that link on the Dogcast Radio site, and if you like Border Collies, it's well worth a visit. Both Jenny and I did indeed succeed in taking our sheep round a simple course with the aid of our chosen dog, and it was a great feeling. Part of the enjoyment of the day for me was spending a few hours with two women who have such a deep knowledge and great enthusiasm for the breed they live and work with. Barbara and Vicky not only offer the sheepdog experience and work and train sheepdogs, they also run the Freedom of Spirit Trust, which seeks to promote a better understanding of the Border Collie breed, as well as rescuing and rehoming dogs in need. This is obviously a passion for Barbara, and I talked to her about an exciting event she is organising next year. It's on April the 29th, 2012, at Newark Showground in one of the big halls there. Mm-hmm. It's called For the Love of Dogs, and it is for anybody who is interested in dogs, their welfare in the future, even if they don't have one. We want a mixture there. We would like to have people involved in rescue. We want trainers, we want behaviourists, and we want the pet owning public. They are important because rescue people are rescuing for them, trainers are training them. We want them there to put their point of view forward. It's not a lecture or a preach and teach. It's about everybody getting together to try and find out how we can lessen this massive rescue problem we've got in this country. And the fact that dogs are getting so many mixed messages in the training. There needs to be one balance of training that teaches good manners, and that's what it's all about. Understanding each other, understanding the dogs, and doing what the best we can for the future of dogs, because the rescue situation is really serious in this country. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And you see that on a regular basis, don't you, with the, the... We do, we do. And I think we have to stop targeting. Um, puppy factory farming is assumed to be farmers. It's 
going on in back streets in the middle of towns all over the country as well. People are very, very quick to say that farmers are cruel. Yeah, they are, but not all of them. Mm. And some pet people are. We have to stop laying blame. We've, there's a divide come between is it a working border collie or a pet border collie? And we get that divide in the, the other breeds, Labrador. Is it a working strain or is it a pet strain? It's a dog and it is a breed and we shouldn't have that divide and we shouldn't have a divide between whether it's born in a pet home, born on a farm home. It's who has that dog and its welfare and how they look after it that's important. Mm. It's not the type of home, it's the type of person it's going to. And that, yeah. that is important and that they understand it is a dog. Mm. It's not there for our entertainment or our amusement. It is. We, we all know the slogans that are out there but what we're failing to remember is that a dog is a life. It is livestock, and we have to appreciate that and understand it and find out its needs, not what we think it should have or we want it to have, what it actually wants. We've got to start doing it simply for the title, for the love of dogs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what will the event actually be like? Is it going to be sort of, um, will there be an address or is it a mix, you know, a sort of people will be able to mix together? In no, the they'll be able to mix together. We're obviously having seating, theatre-style seating. Ella MacArthur, who is our patron, will be mm-hmm. there to introduce it and start it off and she'll probably be there most of the time, if not all of the time. It's starting at 10 o'clock, it'll probably finish about 4 o'clock. And it, it's going to be done so that even if somebody can't be there all day, they will still get the value out of it if they come for just part of the day. We are going to go through living with a rescue, the problems that can arise. We're going to go through rescue itself. We know from the general public that some rescues don't give any aftercare, mm. don't follow through. We also know that other rescues do all of that. Mm. So it's a question of getting together and saying, how do we need to straighten this up? It's not a preach and teach. They can come, they can ask questions. Everything is open for discussion. So everybody can put the point of view forward. And there is no level. Oh, well, we've got trainers, behaviourists and then pet owners. Everybody's equal. Mm. When they're there, they're there for the love of dogs. It's, well, given the time it starts. Because it's a charity, we, we obviously have to charge to cover. We are asking for donations for £12 per person. If somebody can give more, that would be fantastic. And we also want sponsors for the event. If we can get sponsors, great, because the charity is having to fund it all mm. itself. Mm. So anybody that can help, great. OK. If people can help, where, how can they contact you? They can contact us through the Trust. Telephone number 01274 um, straight into the main office, which is 01274564163. They can e- email info at FOSTBC, Freedom of Spirit Trust Border Collies, .org.uk. Mm-hmm. Either the telephones or either the websites come straight into, into the office. Just ask for me, for Barbara, and I'll chat to them. We'll have more details about For the Love of Dogs as it comes through. And you can find links to both the Mainline Border Collie site and the Freedom of Spirit Border Collie Trust site on the Dogcast Radio site. We thoroughly enjoyed our day at the centre, and you can find photos and videos of that on the site too. Collie is a Scottish dialect word used to describe sheepdogs, including border collies. try to avoid housework as much as possible but for the next few days I'll be trying out a Dyson vacuum cleaner and the special groom tool. With two dogs and three cats in the house the vacuum will have its work cut out for it. I'll let you know how I get on. Till next time look after yourselves and your dogs. 
Thanks for listening to Dogcast Radio, available from www.dogcastradio.com. That's D-O-G-C-A-S-T radio.com. If you'd like to get in touch with us, and wherever you are in the world, we'd love to hear from you. You can do so in a variety of ways. By phone from the UK, you can contact us on 0121 288 0922. From the US, you can contact us on our American number, which is 315-849-2022. From any other country, you'll need your international exit code and then 441212880922. You can contact us on Skype with the ident DogCastRadio. That's all one word, DogCastRadio. By email, you can contact me on julie at dogcastradio.com. When contacting us by email, if you have the facilities, please record your questions or comments and send them to us as an audio file. That way we can include them directly in our programme. We can accept most formats, for example, WAV, MP3. All these methods of contacting us can be found on our website, which is www.dogcastradio.com. And as ever, the final word goes to Jenny. What kind of dog can use the phone? A Dialmation.